Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Laura, what do we got? Today. Today you're disheveled. <laughs> you're all over the place. I am completely disheveled. Yes, because school was canceled last minute and what? I had to figure out. What's up with the canceling of the schools? Well, it's in the best interest of the children that they don't get abandoned at school. Are you hired by the school as a public relations? No, I just, I completely <laughs> understand. And when I found out, when you told me, I was really excited. But then two seconds after that followed fear because I had no idea what we were going to do with our kids and today in work. But I worked it out and then forgot about the rest of my day. So, Well, interestingly, today we're talking about careers. Right. And work, job, careers. We're not going to get too much into how much children completely derail <laughs> careers. But when you embark on a career... There's so much challenge to that. Last episode, we were talking about choosing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. The importance of choosing ourselves in relationship to anything in life. And, you know, we talk about in relationships to a significant other, to family members, choosing yourself in how you want to operate in society. But a big one for a lot of people is you want to choose a career. And how do you choose yourself? What does that look like when you're embarking on a career and have to go through a lot? of toil and a lot of different variables, a lot of people, a lot mm -hmm. of interactions that you have to navigate through and to choose yourself through all of that, know how to do it with poise is really important. Well, there are a lot of different levels actually, because when I was thinking about this and you and I talk about this a lot, but I think about the old saying, I think it's Confucius who says, choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Right. And I think about that a lot because there's no way I could choose a job that I didn't love because I wouldn't last there more than a day. It's just the way I work and or I operate. And so I think there are a lot of different levels. Yes, the relationships within the workplace, but also just making sure that on the deepest of level that it resonates with you and that you love it. And then all of a sudden you go into the workplace and how do you navigate the relationships within the workplace and how do you navigate the actual job and do you love it on the deepest of levels? So there are a lot of different levels. I think when we talk about the relationship of yourself to your career, your job. Yeah. I think too, there's a big gender component here. When I speak to men about navigating through careers, it's a wildly different conversation than when talking to women. It sure is because you could operate from your heart and only do what you love, or you have to think about the bigger picture too. Do I have a family and do I have to provide for that family? So there are a lot of people who choose a career or a job because it's providing fully for the family, or say it's a career or a job within the family and it's passed down generations. And what I'm saying is you kind of have to do it, but it's not coming from a place of true love. But even if you choose a job for true love, right, if you're a woman in today's market, 
today's society, there's a different dynamic that you have to navigate through that it's almost like if you're going to run a race, right? And it's like, okay, it's hard enough to run a marathon. You got to train for it. But what if all of a sudden a marathon has obstacles that you have to get over? And I just feel like there's a lot of times where women, they have to walk a really fine line between how assertive they are, how emotional they are. Absolutely. It's a completely different standard. And also how to get to the top that, I mean, you said it, It but also- going to say the wrong word, but the sexual component to it as well. That's huge. It's huge. There's so many, and so that's kind of the point of today is we're going to have a guest on today, Melissa Culleton. And so we'll have a female's perspective on this, but just basically what does it take to, like you said, the primary seed is to make sure that you're doing something that allows your authentic expression, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an option to go against that. But then even once you get that, which is hard enough, right, to Mm -hmm. find an outlet for it, a viable outlet, how to navigate through the pitfalls and the obstacles that come up so that you're not spending your whole career putting out fires. So Melissa Culleton, let's talk about her a second, because she's had an interesting path. She went to school for athletic training, right? And you don't end up in athletic training by accident. No. So as I go through this, I want to just introduce you. Melissa Culleton, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I mean, as I've known you for a while. I've worked with you personally. It's so interesting to see progression as an individual and not just as a female, because obviously we're just all humans, but as a female, seeing your process, working through all this, it's been fascinating for me. And so you started out going to school for athletic training and you transitioned to sales and clinical research. It just Tell me even how you started. (laughs) Where was that jump? How did that happen? Well, I'll start by saying that a lot of people that are in clinical research are from all sorts of walks of life. It's actually sort of a melting pot of career people and people that go to school for something totally different. One of my really good friends that I used to work with in clinical research, she went to school for theater. So just (laughs) completely left-hand turn, right? My passion was athletic training because I actually got injured playing sports in high school and I didn't have anybody to help me. And I sort of wanted to do the physical therapy thing. But then when I realized it was very clinical and kind of boxed in and always in a clinic, I felt like the athletic training piece was a little more interesting to me because I could be actively working with athletes and not necessarily nothing against the elderly, but I didn't want to work in a clinic trying to help an elderly person walk again or something like that. I wanted to work with younger athletes that were their physical prime, if you will. So that was the interest for me between getting hurt and just having an interest in athletics. I think part of my personality is goal-oriented, intensity. Like If that's what I'm in and around, that's kind of where I'm at my best. Did that feel at the time, obviously, like it was a reaction to what happened in high school as an athlete, did that feel that it was going to provide an outlet for your expression? At the time it did, but I was 18, right? So (laughs) (laughs) enough said. (laughs) Yeah. Hurry up and figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 18. It did. And what deterred me from it, fortunately, unfortunately, I don't regret any of it, but what the major deterrent was, is I went to school for six years because I went and got my master's degree in adult education with an emphasis in health professions because The idea was always to be an athletic trainer, but then teach athletic training students as well. So being in a system that had an athletic training program, 
So that's why I went and got my master's in education. And my first job out of school, I was working crazy hours because I was an athletic trainer. So you work during the day, you see your athletes during the day, then they have practice after school and et cetera, et cetera. You're traveling. It was nothing for me to work an entire weekend with the baseball team on their entire week's right. worth. This right. They go for the entire weekend on their games. And I was being paid $28,000 a year. So <laughs> I'm like, I just went to school for six years and I'm getting paid not even $30,000. And I was teaching students. So I was teaching and I was an assistant athletic trainer. So at the time, it was very much a knee-jerk reaction of like, whoa. When you're young, people tell you, you don't make much money in this industry. Just a fair warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay, no problem. But then life hits. You have to start paying your student loans back. and this probably isn't going to work for me. Yeah. So at that point, you come up against something that, like Laura, you were mm-hmm. alluding to, where all of a sudden you chose something first based on something more intrinsic to yourself. And then you're doing that. And then it becomes really obvious, huh, I need to account for money. And then all of a sudden <laughs> that now you're like, you're looking at your career in a very different way. It's starting to get compromised slightly. It doesn't have to. But then all of a sudden it's like, no, it has to fit the money box too. So how did you transition to the sales and clinical research? Yeah. So the sales part came in during my athletic training first job. I call it my first big girl job out of college. I was on a 10 month contract. So during the summer, I wanted to get another job because obviously I wasn't making that much money doing what I was doing and just wanted to do something else during the summer. And I worked at a local winery and I was literally just waitressing. And then they asked me to be the manager of the restaurant portion of the winery. And mind you, I'm 20 something and they're asking me to be a manager. I was like, yeah, sure. And they were going to pay me more than my athletic training job. And I just at that time was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be an athletic trainer anymore. I'm going to be, I'm going to do this. And then I worked my way into different management positions there as family owned business. I think my work ethic showed up and that was something that come across every single day from right. people. And so they enjoyed a work ethic. It was, you know, Mr. Childress, Richard Childress, if anybody's familiar with him, he's does NASCAR and such. That's their personalities lend themselves to a lot of family, like you work hard kind of attitude. And that was definitely me. And so they continued to promote me. And then I kind of just got to the point where I was like, I don't know if I want to work Saturdays all the time. I started getting more into that. My friends are out going to football games and doing fun stuff. And I'm like, oh, I got to work on Saturday morning. So I guess I'm staying in. I'm not going to hang out with my friends, that kind of stuff. And not to mention it was a family owned business, which I appreciate their opportunity. It was kind of crazy if you think back on it, how much responsibilities they were giving me at <laughs> such a young age. But I started getting that point. I'm like kind of a ceiling here, family owned business. I'm only going to do so much here. And so my ambition kicked in and I asked a woman, her name was Sue, what she did back in the day because she was retired and she was just one of my retirees that came in on a Saturday and did wine tours for me. And she explained to me that she was in staffing. I was like, what is that? She shared with me that she did recruiting of people saying, I really like the sales portion of my job now. It was always fun for me to sell something to somebody and have them walk out the door happy. So that's interesting. I think I'd like to look into that. So she introduced me to one of the regional managers I got that job, worked there for about three years. So it was a very huge global staffing firm. And I did that through the terrible times of 2007, 8, 9, when the housing industry Mm -hmm. was nuts. And it was pretty crazy because nobody wanted staffing at the time. Everybody was letting people go. 
So for the first year or so, it was pretty challenging, but then it, it got better. I liked the sales portion of it better than I did the recruiting portion because we had to do 50-50. And those are very often some similar skill sets, but also very different too, right? Like I didn't like sitting at my desk and answering the phone and things like that. I like being out in the field, talking to customers, meeting new people, that kind of stuff. So that eventually just led to a, a complete cold call from somebody in the clinical research industry. And because I had been staffing for some pharmaceutical companies here in town, and they were hiring for an inside salesperson. So at first I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. I don't want to smile and dial all day long. <laughs> but then they explained to me that, no, it's more strategic than that. You have to really understand the client before you call them. And this industry is very complicated and complex. And so it's important you understand how to approach a client. So when I got into it, I thought that was sounded really cool. And learning about all sorts of diseases sort of fit within my original intent, right, which was mm -hmm. the medical field. So that also helped me and I had kind of a leg up with that. And that's that's how I ended up in the clinical research. And I've just worked my way up into an executive role now. So. OK, so that's a good right. jump off there, because getting from that, you're basically giving us a really grassroots progression there. And then you fast forward into an executive position. What were the biggest things if we're today trying to talk about how do you maintain the integrity of your relationship to yourself as you climb that ladder? What are some of the biggest things to you that you learned along the way that were really important? What were some of the challenges and then lessons? Yeah. So I think, as you guys were alluding to earlier, being a woman and I mean, the sales world is still a little bit of a man's world or a man's game. There's still a lot more male salespeople than there are female salespeople, and certainly way more male executives and leaders than there are women. So I would say one of my biggest challenges of navigating being promoted into more of an executive role is I have a tendency to be very straightforward and it comes with some flair and intensity sometimes because <laughs> <laughs> straightforward with yeah. flair and intensity. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. People call me passionate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's their nice way of saying I get a little feisty sometimes. But, and it's funny because even in high school, I was told to settle down. Like my athletic director one time pulled me aside and was like, calm down out there. Getting yellow cards or getting removed from the court or the field is not going to do your team any good. So that was just who I was, right? So going into a business world where there is some tact to it, right? Like you have to slow down a little bit and understand how other people are going to receive you and not just come at it 100 million miles per hour, especially as a woman, right? It's, so it's all in the delivery. Yes. And so throughout my career, I think I had those challenges because I was always just very honest and open and straightforward about things that I felt or things that I thought saw were going kind of sideways within the organization or just with my world. So I had to understand how to be true to myself, right? I'm not going to be a dishonest person. I'm not going to twist things around and be a different person. But being okay with that side of me was a huge thing that I've had to grow into. And I think, Adam, you've probably seen me grow into that, right? And, and not be, I guess, embarrassed about it or feel bad about it, but just learn how to be that person, but also learn how to work with others in a professional setting. And I think that is absolutely one of the biggest challenges in the world today is you have to suppress yourself a lot to fit into the world of work because there's a lot of feelings that come up 
with your own self-consciousness a lot of times, right? So you have to kind of harness that, be true to yourself and not feel like you're being suffocated out of who you really are, but also let it fit into the world of work. But that's interesting because when you think of an assertive man in the workplace, that's the type of personality that people want and mm-hmm. need. Especially but, in sales right. and executives. But yep. then you have a woman who comes in with the same personality and all of a sudden it's looked at like, hey, you have to tone it down. That's interesting. There's also, and I know, Melissa, you definitely can speak to this because we worked on this, is when your own insecurities come up and then you're worried about how people are receiving you and how it's affecting and it sends you into a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And then you have to respond. If you're not on top of that, you end up being very reactive and it comes across as charged. And that's a tough one. And especially a lot of women feel they need to present to match the male's energy of assertiveness, but then it comes off as charged. And then they're like, hey, stop. And they're like, calm down, calm down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But a lot of times we can talk about that and say it's kind of toxic from a male to a female view. But at the same time, if it's coming from an insecurity, not that it's not justified, not that the male dominated workforce isn't putting women in a corner to start with or whatever it is. But if there's an insecurity, it is going to come across as charge. And then it is going to be like, calm down. And maybe the system's broke. But how can you speak to that insecurity part where maybe you feel it isn't equal, but you can't let that insecurity kind of uh, seep in to the interaction? Yeah. And that's definitely a difficult thing to address. And I think that working with you had really taught me to be true to myself and turn inwards on things versus constantly turning outward. And I'm the type that if you do meet me with energy, I'm going to meet you back with that energy. And no matter what, even if it's not me, I'm going to meet that energy. And so that's one big ticket item. And then the other big ticket item is if you have your own self-consciousness, like for me, for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know why, because my parents were always very complimentary of me, very always, you can do as you wish, like you can do everything you want to accomplish in life. My parents were very loving, very kind, very supportive. So I don't know where I picked this up, but I had a self-consciousness of feeling stupid. Again, don't know because I always got good grades, but I don't know if it came from, I had to work really hard for my good grades and stuff. Like I would see some people barely study and get by, but I had to really work hard to do that. And so I don't know if that's where it comes from, but either way, that was a big self-consciousness that I had. And it would come up in the workplace where if someone question my work, just simply saying like, hey, maybe you might want to think about doing it this way, not even with a high charged energy or being a jerk about it at all. And I would meet them with a lot of resistance. And I had to sort of turn inward and figure out what that was. And I realized it was my own mind making me feel stupid. And then Mm -hmm. my soul was like, like, God, Mm -hmm. like what? We don't want that. Get that away. So I had to understand had to turn inward on those moments and then address it accordingly, but not reacting just because I felt stupid. There's a good little nugget in here where, because you've been working on this for a while. I've been working on this for a while. It's Mm -hmm. like something where my insecurities were just rampant. They dominated my life and coming into my teen years and into my twenties. And I think a lot of times we start learning oh, I can't do this. Like my soul is just screaming at me to protect him better. 
advocate for him better and we make a change. But even then, I mean, you can speak to this because, I mean, I'll let you tell the story where just even very recently you get challenged and now you're even at the point, right? You would say, huh, Melissa should be confident now. She's risen to the level of an executive. And yet it's, even though we do work for years, our mind kind of tells us that means we should never have to feel insecure again. And so we push it down instead of just allow the fact that this is an ongoing process. So speak to that because even at that high level, and you've been working in the workforce for a couple of decades plus, tell me what happened, tell us what happened, and then to speak to how insecurity even shows up no matter how high you've risen. Yeah. And to your point, not just how high you've risen, but also how much freaking work you've done, right? <laughs> I mean, I've worked on this for a really long time now. I mean, I've been seeing Adam for three years, started seeing Laura as well. <laughs> so it's been a minute since I've worked on this and realized it was, I would call a blind spot of mine. So I think that the story goes, I was working on a project with somebody and I was working on it from a place of kind of brainstorming a little bit, right? I was kind of throwing stuff on slides and PowerPoint presentation, just putting things in there to to get some content. And I had worked really, really hard on pulling the information together. I had to look at a lot of data and figure out trends. And I was really digging deep into this project. And so I started just throwing things on slides and was trying to get it to come together. And a commercial leader that I was working with who's got more experience than me. She's very bright, but she's also very bold. (laughs) And she came in and basically just put it together and put a bow on it. And so she's like, hey, made some changes. Let me know what you think. And I, (laughs) (laughs) the tiger came out. And so I go look at it. I'm like, holy cow, it looks totally different than the last time I looked at it. And my initial reaction was just like so angry at her. And this is the difference between Melissa three years ago and Melissa today is before I would have stewed on that. I would have been mad at her for like, God only knows how long, right? I would have probably put a ding on her. In fact, like she's a good friend of mine, a good colleague of mine and strong leader. And I've learned a lot from her. That would have been like a scar I put on her. I remember when I first started seeing you, there was a lot of you coming in and it was sorting out these things that had happened in the last week or whatever it was. Right. A lot like got stuck. Get stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I would have been letting that just boil in my body and I probably wouldn't have said anything to her. And if I did, it probably would have come out sideways. And Mm -hmm. if I didn't think I could say something to her without it coming out sideways, I just wouldn't have said anything. The whole can't say something nice. Don't say it at all. Right. So then and this is the difference. Right. Going inward and saying, even if she does think I'm stupid, even if she thought I did a crap job, even if. I put all this hard work into it and she looked at it and was like, what the heck is this? I still love myself. I'm still okay. And I still value myself unconditionally. Yeah. This means nothing about who I am, the work I've done. I know what I've done. It doesn't matter what she thinks about me. She might look and be like, what is this crap? Let me fix it. Doesn't matter. The cool part is too, if you get there, right, you make that pivot and you shift, Mm -hmm. it actually allows you to get some value out of what happened. Like, ooh, now I can look with objectivity at what changes she made. Hey, you know what? I never would have thought of that. And so the second you're not running from an insecurity model, it allows you to actually grow so much more. Yeah. And I was actually able to add more to the project too after she kind of got 
she almost took like all my thoughts and put them together in a really concise way. And I was like, it looks amazing. Like this is one of the best. That's something we always had to do with something that we had to consistently deliver on. And it was like one of the best. And everybody was like, damn, that looks good. And I was like, I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) But I was able to just kind of bring it down a level right after I had my conversation with myself. And then even after that, I said to her, without it coming out sideways, I said, to be honest with you, and this is where being vulnerable even about your insecurities can play a huge role too in how you work with other people. Because if they just know how they made you feel, but they didn't mean to make you feel that way, that's the part of not making it come out sideways versus being like, hey, jerk, why did you change all my project without talking to yeah, me? Yeah, I'd really appreciate yeah. it if you did. Yeah, I'd really appreciate <laughs> if you talked to me first. But instead I said, it looks amazing. I'm not even going to lie about it. It looks amazing. You did, you did great. <laughs> as much as this pains me yeah. to say. <laughs> it looks great. And um, thank you for helping it come together. And I said, but to be honest with you, it made me feel a little stupid that yours was so much better output than mine. And I think I was getting hung up in all the data and trying to get it to boil down. And you were able to boil it down for me. And she's like, well, I didn't mean to make you feel that way. Right. Of course she didn't you mean did. to make me feel I made myself feel that <laughs> right. way. And that's the, but honestly, I think even though I had to still go through the process, that's the point, right? Is it wasn't just like, I was like, oh, okay, that looks great. She changed everything about my slide. Awesome. It wasn't that easy. It was still work, right? But mm-hmm. I think the difference is before I would have stayed mad. I would have probably put a scar on her for that in my own mind and just seen her as somebody who- As a threat. As a threat, who swooped in, changed my project and didn't ask me, didn't talk to me about it. But then after I did this work inside, pointing to my chest, after I did that work and got through it, then I was able to calmly say to her, it made me feel kind of silly that I couldn't get this to come together myself and you were able to do it and thank you for doing it. And it just kind of made me feel silly. And she was like, didn't mean to make you feel that way. I just knew you were had all these things, thoughts and you did the work and but I just kind of put it together for you. So and that happens a lot in the workplace, right? Where you have an insecurity, someone makes you feel I'm doing my air, air quotes, quotes with my fingers. Because that's what you say, right? People even say that. They made me feel X, Y, and Z. And honestly, a lot of times, and it's you making yourself feel that way. Yes. And I think the but I would put on that is after you've had time to come down a little bit from it, realize it's your own insecurity, address that accordingly, then it's time to think, did that person overstep or not? And if they did, then you can talk to them without this major insecurity being between you and them because once the insecurity is there then it's just like it's not a great conversation even if you didn't say hey that made me insecure which is kind of cool that you were able to be open because i think it allows you to form a bond a more personal bond with someone but i don't even think that's necessary to say right but say you would have just said hey that was a lot better and wow like really cool that said it really took me aback. And maybe she had maybe like her role that was part of her role and that would have been totally okay. But just let's say she overstepped some professional boundaries to do that. Say it wasn't her project, but she swooped in, made those changes. You could coexisting, it could be, hey, those were awesome changes. That said, if you're gonna touch my project, can you ask me first? Because that's the way we do things around here. Blah blah. Like yeah. where you can still advocate for yourself. You yeah. don't have to just completely tuck in. So this is an example, right? There are a million different examples. But when I look at this, I think of two things like that, like two nuggets out of this particular story. But I also look at it that all these different stories 
they really boil down to these two little nuggets or the essence of it. And one is, can you laugh at yourself? Right. And I know it's not kind of relevant, but it is in a way is you had said how when you finally realized that you had called yourself stupid, but if you could take a step back and laugh at yourself and say, oh, okay, I mean, she really did do a better job than me. That's the laughing at yourself component. And then also is to celebrate those around us. And it's just, it's two lessons that we're always trying to teach our children. And it's two lessons I'm always trying to teach myself. Those are the goals, right? Those are the end points, right? You want to get to a place where you're so secure with yourself that you can laugh at yourself. You want to get to the place where you can be so secure with yourself that it is a joy to celebrate others because it doesn't make you feel less than. So that's the end game, but But it's hard to get, it's hard just to like, you can't fake that. No, but to me, I look at it like I visualize like a checklist at the end of this hardship, at the end of this lesson, was I able to laugh at myself? If I didn't, can I laugh at myself now? And at the end of this checklist, am I celebrating everyone around me? Are you celebrating that woman and how she took your work and turned it into a beautiful piece of art or something like that? But really can go through those two checklists. Yes, Mm -hmm. I realize very enlightened and But it's great to use. Like I used to back in the day, like in 20 years ago when I didn't have a smartphone or anything like that. And I tell all my patients, I would carry around little three by five index cards in my back pocket that would have these little kind of constitutional non-negotiables. Inch by inch, life's a cinch. (laughs) Not not like those sayings. (laughs) Newcomb, more like, hey, Adam, you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. My dad taught me that one. He told me the story when he was at work and he told his boss, hey, I have nothing to prove to you. And quite frankly, I have nothing to prove to myself. And that just stuck with me for mm-hmm. always. I use that just so, so often. And where these things that I'm like, hey, if what I'm thinking right now is not in alignment with what's on my index card, then it doesn't belong in my conscious awareness it right can now. float away and be forgotten. And right. by the same token, if I have on my note card you should be able to laugh at yourself. I want to get to the point where I can laugh at myself. I want to get to, am I able to celebrate others' accomplishments? Am I able to laugh at myself? And in that sense, if Melissa, where you were, if I'm in that situation and then I'm just stewing the initial part and I look at my note cards, like, wait, I'm not able to laugh at myself. And then my mind would be like, well, of course we're not laughing at ourselves because this person overstepped but, the boundaries. But why? Then why I know. Can you not? Well, that's the point. If I know I can't do that, I know I have my own stuff to work on before Absolutely. I project it onto how do I want to engage in that outer relationship with a coworker. That's huge. So yeah, it's not like you can't get there. You can use it as a guidepost, right? right. Like, am I able to laugh at myself? Am I taking myself too seriously? And if I am, it's because I feel what's, I have to prove something insecurity? and I have an insecurity. Right. And if I can't celebrate other people, I mean, this woman came along and made a better product and it's not like it took away from your efforts. So if I'm not able to celebrate someone else, I know I've got work to do. So, and they both point to the same thing. For you, it was, I'm stupid. I can't believe you think that, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I mean, we all have things. I know. I, mean, I know. Honestly, when I tell people that my biggest thing when I was a child and I felt blank inside and I'm like, I knew that I am the most uninteresting person. And then now like I'm in Chinese medicine and like um, interesting in the sense I'm not like run of the mill. People are like, what do you mean? I'm like, 
no, I'm blank inside. So we have things that we hold. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter whether how true it is or not true it is. It's just Mm -hmm. what sticks. I know. But when you finally zone in on a person's insecurity to the outsiders, more often than not, outsiders are not thinking that. It's just your own. Outsiders are totally consumed with their own insecurities. They're totally (laughs) consumed with their own insecurities. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's like thinking about if people knew how little other people thought about Oh my gosh. Absolutely. But I did want to say real quick, can you laugh at yourself and celebrate those around us? So I think that that brings up a really good point with, in addition to some of the insecurities that I've brought with me throughout my executive career, I think the other really big ticket item is the perfectionism, especially for women. I think that's a big ticket item where women have to be just so, and you think a lot about it. You're like, did I act like a bitch or was I soft enough? Was I caring enough? And I just don't think men think about that. Men have, I mean, first of all, there is such a pressure. Is this Adam defending men? Yeah. This is going, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll defend everybody. I'll defend women, men, because everyone deserves defending. It's true. It's not all men are misogynistic and not all men are over. I mean, I've worked, I listen, I've, most of my managers have been men and they're fabulous. Fabulous. Oh, I thought you said 100%. Yes, they are. are. Oh, no, 100% they are not. Sorry. 100% they are not. The men in my life and my career have lifted me up sometimes more than some of the women, honestly, for sure. They're fabulous. And I will absolutely go on record to say Mm -hmm. like they have been great. If you look at like, think of like old school where males are going out and they're hunting and doing all that. And the women are in the village and they're attending to all that, attending to the nucleus of the structure of, of the tribe. There is a lot of competition amongst males. I mean, just think of the animal kingdom. It's like you're trying to push off. You're trying to be the alpha. And this whole thing about perfectionism, yeah, I don't think it's gender specific. We all have different reasons why we feel this pressure to be so perfect. And it comes up big time. It's just two different experiences, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure to be perfect and to rise to the top. And we've spoken about that, I think, on an episode, maybe mm-hmm. that we haven't released yet, but where you want to go from perfectionism of where it's going to tell me my value if I perfect this versus I just love the art of improving. That's you convincing yourself, by the way. But <laughs> that's fair. You can say that. But I can also say that's coming from someone who has been born and raised to be a perfectionist and that there's pressure on it and your mm-hmm. value. So of course you'll see it that way, but that's the work. Even if you start there and I totally have been there and I know it's probably, I still have plenty of work to do with it, but that's the goal at least, right? Not to say, where am I? Who knows? But it's okay to be wired. Like you said, if you're a little spitfire, Melissa, right? <laughs> like you don't want to take that out of you. If you're right, feisty, that's your spirit. don't yeah. take that out. And if your spirit is someone who just loves growing, That's perfectionism, right? You love improving every season, every cycle. You want to improve and evolve. That's perfectionism at its best. But then when the harvest comes in and you're not quite there, if you don't judge yourself based on it, you say, I'm going to use this harvest, I'm going to use this outcome to work on improving. That's not bad. Yeah, I think it's when you're beating yourself up. I'll never forget the one time I admired this one gentleman that I worked with. And we had a huge, like all hands company call with one of our clients and our client was from another country. So his last name was a little 
Sean couldn't pronounce it basically, but Sean is literally up in front of the entire company and I'm sitting there and I'm watching him and he said, I'd like to introduce so-and-so. And he said, but I'm going to screw up his last name. So here I go. And he just said it. And then he laughed at himself. And there was like a light bulb that went off in that moment. I thought, oh, like you can not know things and have everybody know that you do not know that thing. <laughs> and Absolutely. it's okay. And just have a giggle about it. And it was such a moment. I'll never forget that moment because I really admired him. I felt like he was a person that always had it together. And when he did that, I was like, oh, well, yeah. Here's he doesn't a, know how to say that guy's name. And that's funny. Here's a little <laughs> tip for you. Not everyone. No one has it together. Right. <laughs> right. None of us know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I wanted to say, have either of you guys seen the Barbie movie? Not yet. It's on the, the plans. The biggest, best part. I had to miss because I had to run to the bathroom because I stepped in gum and then got all over my hands. <laughs> and I don't even want to go into it. But the best part was, and I only heard the beginning of it, but a woman had come in and started saying how women have to be perfect, yet they have to be. It was all these. She's like tired of being. Oh, um, it was unbelievable. Seen, and she's yeah. just giving all these contrast of what we have to be and how we have yeah. to be so perfect. Mm-hmm. And she went through this entire list. I didn't hear it. I'm dying to see it just again. YouTube so it. It's hear. out there. Someone Is said it? it to me okay. the other day. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So I thought it's it just, it resonates, but I think it, that not just with women, I think it has to resonate with men with as well. Yeah. yeah. With every human being for sure. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Let's find the magic seed a, here. So many seeds and mm. we all find ourselves at different places in this. But just to even transition to the last part, because Melissa, you were in sales for like two decades and then now you're making a transition, right? It's all of a sudden doesn't feel like a fit. And so right now you're transitioning into a women's executive leadership coach and doing business and sales consulting. So how does that happen? Because I think a lot of times (laughs) we end up in a profession and then we're using it in a way to good about ourselves and to make money. And when you feel like it isn't a fit, it's hard to pivot, especially when you have to, like you spent years, quote unquote, proving yourself, right? And building yourself up. It takes a lot of guts to then pivot. So can you tell us about that part of your relationship to yourself in terms of a career? Yeah. I think I have one of those stories that's very typical that you hear of a lot where there was perhaps an unintended consequence of your journey and you didn't necessarily sign up for that part of the journey. (laughs) You mean life? Yeah. (laughs) You wake up one day, you go in the office and you're yucking it up with your colleagues. And then the next thing you know, you're sitting between HR and and someone else. (laughs) And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. So for me, it was a little bit of, I would call it whatever higher power you believe in yanking me out of a situation to take a step back and look at was true to me and what was not true to me. I wouldn't say my entire career was not true to me, right? I always tell the folks that report to me, my sales reps, that I wake up in the morning to see them succeed. Like I put my feet on the floor because that's what I truly enjoy. And I do a lot of coaching and I'll do a lot of feedback. Not all managers are like that, right? Some just are like, God, that person screwed up. I'm just going to let them keep screwing up and then I'm going to fire them, which is super (laughs) not cool. Candid feedback is something I'm really good at. I think I call it a skill set, right? That I can be empathetic, but give honest, straightforward feedback that allows people to grow. 
So that part of my journey and my career was something that's absolutely true to me, which is part of the reason I want to go into more of a space of doing that on a regular basis. But I'll say too, I think it's important to point out to the folks that are listening and they're in the middle of a career and they're trying to think about what works for them and what doesn't work for them. I would say a big challenge that everybody has in the world of work today is there's so many components of it, right? It's like the actual job you do. Like, what is it you sit and do every day? Do you like that or not? Does that make you feel good or not? And then it's your colleagues. So your people that sit shoulder to shoulder to you. And then it's your management, your manager, your management. And then it's probably the culture of the company. And I think that it's exceptionally challenging to get all four of those things in alignment Mm -hmm. with who you are and what you love to do. And for me, especially recently, I loved my colleagues. I loved my manager. I loved the culture. And I freaking loved the people that were my employees and that I had the opportunity to allow them to grow. I had some people on my team that were a little more juniors. I'd never done direct sales in our space before. And that's just like real juicy for me, especially (laughs) if they're the type that wants to learn and absorb and and get better. Because I always explain that I'm the, I like to take people from good to great. I'm not necessarily the person, I'm not greatest at taking people from really floundering to good. I'm more the, I love grabbing somebody that's good and just putting them to the moon and back. So I would say the part that was probably misaligned that I didn't necessarily executive role is the upward part of it, the management part of it, the board of director part of it, the reporting to the CEO part of it. And when you go from a person who loved working with individual contributors and helping them be successful to then having to do that and do the upward thing, the upward thing was the part that gave me a lot of anxiety and a lot of insecurities because there's just a lot of pressure. You're involved in a privately held company or even publicly held companies. Their shareholders want their money back. That's always what it comes down to. So this wrestling around with doing what's true to you and feeling really good about that and having all four of those components be aligned, I'm not going to lie, that's definitely a challenge. That's really tough. I know, Laura, for you and I, you've threatened over the years that you're just going to go get a job. (laughs) <laughs> go work for somebody. Go work for someone. And you laugh at me every time. You couldn't work for somebody. You couldn't. I couldn't. Like, I mean, to choose Chinese medicine and mm-hmm. everyone just kind of laughed at me or just was like, oh, Adam's, he's in his young 20s and early 20s and he's just going through a phase and you can't make a living doing that. Mm-hmm. It can't be a career. And I'm just like, screw you guys. You know, mm-hmm. like whatever. And maybe they were right. You know, like how you said before, maybe sometimes you find out athletic training, I can't turn that into something that works for my life. But the way I see it is even if I felt compelled to be sanitation worker and I start on the back of a garbage truck, I'm going to rise to the level that stimulates me. Absolutely. And so it doesn't matter where you go. You just need to have a compass. You need to have a North Star. Like you're saying, Melissa, like, oh, if I'm really interested, if I'm going to be stimulated by a higher degree of figuring out solutions to problems, I'm going to start talking to people above me. And then hopefully I would get brought into that. And hopefully I would know then if I'm working with one company and I didn't like the culture of it, that's where it gets tricky for me, the things that you can't control. Yes. So for me, it's not an option to work for someone else. I just can't do it. Me neither. And it's not that it's easier to do it by yourself. I mean, my God, the stress. No, it is not. Look at my hair. It's (laughs) It's very stressful to work for yourself, but it's to us, it's more stressful to work for somebody. It's more stressful to try to get those four components Mm, to all fit. That's really hard. 
Can I just say something yeah. too about what you said on the when people were trying, like when you said what you're going to go do and everybody was like, okay, I'm not sure. Can you make money doing that? This might be a slightly off topic, but I, I heard this. I don't even know at what point I heard it along something I was reading or listening to or whatever. But I think this is really huge for people who are trying to do something that does align with them and they start telling other people about it because let's just be honest, we all want the affirmation to feel comfortable moving forward with whatever we're doing in life. Because I've found myself doing this, right? Like I'm going to be a consultant. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> I literally had someone tell me the other day, well, that's kind of, eh, it can be good, but it's hit or miss. So, but one thing I heard one time that I think is huge for those of you who are trying to do something that you really love, when you start telling other people about it, your friends, your spouses, your parents, you're going to get a lot of feedback that might not feel very affirming. And what I learned a while ago was people are just trying to look out for you. It's not really that they think you shouldn't do that. But if they have a scare, like if they have fear in their mind about it for you, like if they don't think you're going to make money, you're going to starve, you're going to lose your house, whatever it is, they'll express that to you through the lens of their own fears for you. So it's a little bit of caring for you, even though it might not feel that way. They're concerned for your well-being. And if it's something they've never done, they don't feel comfortable, they could never do it because they'd be too afraid to do it. They're not going to give you that affirmation that you need in order for you to feel good about moving forward. And I think that's really, really huge in the world of, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z because that's what makes me feel happy and full of joy and on top of the world. There's a lot of people that would be totally freaked out doing that. They're not going to affirm you that way, but just know that it's because they love you and they care for you and they're trying to look after you. It's not necessarily that they don't think you should do that per se. I'm going to go one step back and that might be their insecurities. Oh, for sure it is because they're too afraid to do it themselves. Tapping intuition For for Adam and I, and I'm speaking for you, I don't know why I'm speaking for you, but it's because we've been together for so long that I know how you operate too. It's a feeling. It's been a feeling since we were really, really young. Both of us have worked since we were very, very young. And even from a very young age, we could never do something that didn't resonate inside. Little Caesars. You worked at Little Caesars? I I go back to Little Caesars. It was one (laughs) job that just didn't resonate and I didn't like going to it. And then finally I quit. Like Little so, Caesar's Pizza? Little Caesar's yeah. Pizza. I can't imagine you know? why. I I mean, <laughs> was, she was mean. My boss was mean. That's why. Um, that's the point. I mean, going from like delivering penny saver newspapers mm-hmm. and then making ice cream at Carvel, like, and that's not much different than Melissa. It's like athletic training. And then you go into sales and you go into consulting and coaching. It's okay to evolve. And right. even if Chinese medicine, I mean, look, right now we're doing this podcast. That right. wasn't part of my Chinese medical training. Absolutely. To trust. I think for me, the magic seed for today is really boiling down to insecurities where mm-hmm. you are going back to embark on a path. And when you're talking about career, you're talking about getting out in the world somehow, right? Relating to the world. It's like a tree or a flower opening its petals and you need a pollinator to create some fruit. You're going to need that interaction. And if you're secure enough, in your own expression of what you're putting out there, how you want to put it out, little by little, it will get refined. But if your insecurities get in the way and you start compromising what you're doing because of that feedback, because people are like, eh, or someone says, you're not enough, like Michael Jordan getting cut from his high school basketball team. You you hear all these great stories of people that 
arrived later in life or they got rejected or failed a million times. There has to be this inner resolve and there has to be this sense of security that I'm going to learn it and I might not get there the way everyone else does. And you know what? There's not even a there to get to. I just want to be on this journey of self-expression and see where it goes. So for me, it's instead of worrying about what am I going to do, it's get in touch with who you are, even if you don't know who that is, and claim it with 100% unconditional acceptance and let it ride. And it may take some weird turns, but it's kind of cool to see, to watch that evolvement go. And then you have a lot to offer people around you. And just a little check-in every once in a while. Am I happy? Do it all the time. Am I happy? Am I, do I love going to work? Do yeah. I love what I'm doing? And if I'm not, okay, let's make a little change. And that's the really beautiful thing about being self-employed is that we can, I mean, literally our career is our palette. We could just do whatever we want and go in the direction. And as long as I feel good and excited, that's how we go on that path. That's an essential. But then, but wait a second, I have to provide for a family. Oh, wait a second, someone, I'm responsible for someone. Or there's so many things, I have a mortgage to pay or whatever it is. That's when it gets compromised. That's when it's not so pie in the sky. Like, am I happy? Well, you know what? I just want to write poetry. And it's like, okay, <laughs> if my soul told me tomorrow, Adam, I want to write poetry. I would say, okay, if that's who you really are, that's where we're going. But I can't just drop what I'm doing. Right. You didn't. No, mm -mm. you didn't say that at all. I'm just saying you that next level. Way. Right. You say, I'm going to create a plan, an exit strategy, and I'm going to try to come up with a plan. And as long as you're moving towards what feels intrinsic to you, again, who cares the timeline? Who knows when you're going to arrive or where you're going to arrive? Just that you're taking measures to support your expression. I thought it would be really interesting, too, to make a comment about the proactivity around what we're talking about here, because the check-ins and things like that that you were talking about, Laura, you really do have to be very proactive with that and calm down the ego mind of chattering about how you shouldn't do this and letting other people's feedback get in your head and have that be what's driving you versus your soul's driving you. So I think it's a very critical to have a proactive approach to doing this. I mean, for yes. me, I mean, I was laying in the bed last night and I started feeling myself get really anxious and I had to be with myself in that moment. I had to proact. I've, I could have sat there and not slept. And after I did that, I was like a baby. I went right to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I was eyeballs wide open and I felt very anxious all of a sudden. So I think the proactivity is really important to be with yourself. Totally. That comes back to a lot of what the work that I do when we've mm -hmm. done together. It's yep. where there's cycle. There's yeah. these phases. If you follow it, it keeps you on track. Once you lose that, yeah, you get stuck. You yeah. get lost somewhere. Magic seed? I mean, for me, the magic seed is you have to come inward. You have to yeah. direct your attention inward and make your peace with yourself. Check in with yourself. Check in and support yourself 100% unconditionally so that you can allow. It's like the tree that has all these twists and turns in it. Those are adaptations. It's okay to be shown your shortcomings. It's okay to be rejected. You just need to know who you are and learn how to use the feedback to continue your journey. Because embarking on a career, who knows where you're going to end up? I mean, Melissa, in five years from now, I mean, I don't even know. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so that's it for me. You good, Laura? Yes, I'm good. Melissa, you good? Yes, I'm perfect. Thank you. All right. Well, until next week, 
Nothing but love.